I want to be very careful with what I'm going to share with you today. Uh, today's message is very instructive. Um, go ahead and take out your worship guide. And um, wow, just, that's just a sampling of what is on religious television today. And I have to keep in mind that there's probably two groups of people in this room who watch that video. One who would say, wow, this is, that sounds very crazy and very foreign. And then another group who might say, you know, that's kind of the context of what I grew up in. You know, uh, I grew up in, 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 in a church like that that was very uh, focused on the sign gifts. And that's really what we're looking at today. We're looking at what 1 Corinthians um, really delves into. Paul addresses the sign gifts at the church of Corinth because they were not using them rightly. They were abusing them. And so this message today is very instructive in its purpose. And so I hope that this will help us. We're going to be looking at the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, we're not going to spend a ton of time in 1 Corinthians 14 today, although it really begins the next couple of weeks of our study. We're, we're about to wrap up our study here in the book of 1 Corinthians. But today's more of a topical message talking about the sign gifts and their role in the church Today. And so, with that, let's just read the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 14. It says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh, speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And so those few verses really, again, lay out Paul's understanding of spiritual gifts, that spiritual gifts are not to edify and magnify ourselves and to bring attention to ourselves, but ultimately they are to glorify God and they are to build up others. And what you had in Corinth were the sign gifts specifically that the church of Corinth was, was uh, focused heavily on, almost to the detriment of the others, and they were abusing them. And that's why Paul was writing 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. Now here at Fairview, there's an unsaid value that we try to practice, at least I know I do, and maybe you've seen this come across in my teaching and preaching, and that is we seek to hold a humble orthodoxy with, with how we hold the, uh, the, the beliefs of our faith. What is orthodoxy? It means proper teaching. And so humble orthodoxy, on primary issues, we hold those beliefs firmly but humbly. There are essential, fundamental doctrines that we hold with a closed hand, and we're never going to let them go. And For instance, like biblical authority, the Trinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, you could put that one in there as well, the resurrection, the return of Christ. There's many others, but this is just a sampling. So we hold these core foundational beliefs as essential. In fact, if you don't have these, then you do not have true biblical Christianity. And so on that, we are unapologetic. We cannot be moved. We believe the gospel. We believe the truth of scripture. We believe the fundamentals of our faith. But then there's secondary issues uh, that we've been talking about over the last even several weeks. And on these secondary issues, we show great grace and humility even though other believers might not agree. So you might come into this study today and say that that video for you, completely normal. What I would encourage you to do is hopefully to have an open mind today at what I'm going to present to you in Scripture. But perhaps you come to the uh, video and you saw it and you're like, yeah, that's crazy. I can't even imagine that, that someone could see that differently. Well, I hope that today this will also be helpful to you and that we would practice great grace and humility 
with these thoughts and with what we're going to unpack today. So you're going to have to listen fast, take notes fast. We aren't going to be able to spend a ton of time in this today, but I'm going to give you a lot of things to consider as we think about these both core creeds, these fundamental beliefs, and then what we would call distinctive beliefs. Things that are secondary, they're not necessarily essential for your salvation, but there are things that, once again, well-meaning Christians disagree on. For instance, the timing of Christ's return, the form of church government, baptism modes, sovereign election, and, of course, spiritual gifts that we're talking about today. And so these issues that we're discussing over the next couple of weeks, these are what we'd call secondary issues. They're not primary issues. And if we confuse them with primary issues, we end up causing disunity in the church. And Jesus says that the world will know that we are his followers by our love with one another. We just got done studying last week one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And so may that color, may that uh, um, uh, take the tone of everything that we talk about today. And so uh, we're going to go through just several scriptures, so you might want to write these down, several scriptures that mention the spiritual gifts. And so Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, lists several of the spiritual gifts. We talked about these gifts a couple of weeks ago, so I want to just remind you of them. So here in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, Paul lists prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhorting, giving, ruling, and mercy as spiritual gifts. Um, and so, if, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago I said that a spiritual gift is typically a natural ability that has been enhanced by the Holy Spirit for the common good of the church. And so, not all the time are they natural abilities, certainly. I've seen people get saved and all of a sudden God gave to them a new gift. But typically, God has given you gifts and abilities, even from birth, that He then takes through the power of the Holy Spirit and He enhances those for the common good of the church. And so notice here in this list in Romans 12 that a lot of these things seem to just be uh, natural abilities, things that you would be predisposed to. But that word prophecy has been very confusing over the years because we actually read that word in our passage today in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And so the word prophecy is a little bit confusing. Let me just define that real quick there in your notes. Um, it says uh, prophecy here, there's two types of prophecy. One is foretelling, which means we're simply proclaiming what is true from God's word. And most of the time when you're reading the word prophecy in the New Testament, it's talking about this kind of prophecy. For instance, I would be called a prophet because I am proclaiming to you today truth from God's word. The other kind of prophecy is something we call foretelling, where you're predicting the future. And that's where the Old Testament prophets certainly come into play. Although they were also foretellers, but they also would foretell certain things that were going to happen. For instance, you saw some prophets on the screen in that opening video, some prophets who were predicting that President Obama would stay in for a third term. Well, I guess their prophecy came true because enough of God's people prayed. Or, or uh, there was going to be a worse disaster in New York City than the Twin Towers falling. And of course, sometime uh, several months after that prophecy was made, there was a bad day on the stock market. And then they used that. And so the point is, is you have all this confusion today. Christian TV, uh, you have things that go over YouTube, things that go over social media. And we just need to uh, take what we're hearing today, look at, the, look at the scriptures, look at the truth, and seek to apply this to our life. And so Paul lists out here some spiritual gifts in Romans 8. He also mentions some other gifts in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. 
As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as stewards of the manifold grace of God. And Paul mentions two, two spiritual gifts here in this passage, or excuse me, Peter mentions two spiritual gifts here in this passage, speaking and also ministry. And so there, there's some other gifts there. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 12 is another area, another passage where there's spiritual gifts listed. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, what's interesting in this passage is God's talking about not just gifts, but he's talking about actual roles that have been defined by the spiritual gifts that those people have. So that's fascinating that God gives all of us to the local church as gifts in and of ourselves. We're a gift to the body. Um, and so this is, these are just several passages that list out a listing of spiritual gifts. Now, let me just remind you about this. I think as I've studied this issue of spiritual gifts, that these listing of gifts in all these different passages, they're not meant to be an exhaustive list, but they're merely an example. And wh what do I mean by that? Well, if these spiritual gifts that are listed in these passages were exclusive and those were the only ones you could have, then why didn't uh, Peter mention the entire list? Because he couldn't assume that all the other churches in all these other areas of that known world would be able to even get the other lists that Paul mentioned. So why would Peter not mention them all? Why would Paul not mention the ones that Peter had listed? So the point is, is that as these men were writing, inspired of the Holy Ghost, they were giving a sampling of some of the gifts that undoubtedly would probably apply to those local church and those local contexts. And so when you get to a passage like 1 Corinthians 12, we looked at this one a couple of weeks ago, you, you see several natural gifts or things that the Holy Spirit takes and enhances. But then you also see, and this is fascinating, this is, this is really, this book is the only book where supernatural or wonders sign gifts are mentioned. Uh, it says here, wisdom, knowledge, faith, and then notice these sign gifts, the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, to another prophecy. Again, that could be a sign gift, depending on whether it's foretelling or foretelling, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues. Listen, if you think that today's a weird sermon, just come back next week. You'll even be more uh, interested in hearing about tongues and the interpretation of those tongues. And so I, and so I share all these passages of Scripture uh, to really sum up this list here. So here's the list of spiritual gifts. And by the way, if you've not taken your spiritual gift survey yet, we hope you'll stop by the Next Step station on your way out this morning and get that and turn that in so that we can get you plugged in and serving here at Fairview because that is part of the discipleship process. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus is serving by grace. And so out of this list, there's, I guess you could say, about five what we would call signs and wonders gifts. The interpretation or speaking in tongues, healings, miracles, prophecy, and tongues. And so there's just a sample. I just want to remind you about that. Now, what is our position on these supernatural sign gifts? Speaking in tongues, healing people, uh, presenting miracles, having healings, all those things. What is our position on this? Well, number one, our position on the sign gifts. Go ahead and take notes here. Number one, God can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, as I have grown in my faith, I'm going to be very careful to ever limit God where God doesn't limit himself. Now, I'm thankful God gives to us his word. And when God puts limits on himself in his word, he abides by those. And so, uh, but God can do whatever he wants to do. He can. Have I seen God do some pretty amazing things in my life? Absolutely. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And so, number one, God can do whatever he wants to do. But number two... 
I would say that we are open, myself specifically, I'm open, to, I'm open, but I'm skeptical of prophets, healers, and miracle workers today. Why? Why should we be open, but yet also skeptical of prophets, healers, and miracle workers today? Because we don't see them resembling biblical patterns in the exercise of those. Um, that's basically it. I mean, Paul is going to lay out here on the use of tongues next week how they weren't following Scripture. And most of these uses of these gifts today are really only being used to magnify a man's ministry, to collect money, to get people to send in their faith seed of $100 to get that miracle spring water, uh, to cure, once again, all different kinds of things, evidently. And so this is our position on the sign gifts. God can do whatever he wants to do. We're not going to say that God can't do the impossible. And so we're open to the miraculous. We're open to reading these stories. How many of you heard that story last week in California of a guy who had a brain tumor and literally the brain tumor vanished? No lie. Go look it up on YouTube. It's amazing. And I know you can't trust everything on YouTube, but but go ahead and uh, research that. It's amazing. Um, And so God can do amazing things today. But we're going to be very skeptical of all these things that we see on the TV and on the interwebs. Why? Because we don't see them following biblical patterns. And so when you look at biblical prophecies and prophets, let's just, uh, as we follow our notes here, again, this is more of an informative message. As we look at these truths, uh, I want to give you several things about biblical prophecies and prophets. Number one, biblical prophets were very specific. When you see these people on TV talking about, oh, there's something bad that's going to happen in New York in the next several months, years, or decades, how specific is that? It's not specific, okay? And so biblical prophets were very specific. How many of you have read more than one book that has tried to set the date of the return of Jesus and they claim to be a prophet? Yeah, and they made great convincing arguments based on the blood moons and the tetrads and the quatrads. And, you know, I got lured into some of those because I'm like, ooh, astronomy, that's interesting. But, you know, I mean, you get in and, and you keep on and, and, then, and then they come out with their adjusted mathematics and their adjusted predictions and they sell another million books. All right, so biblical prophets were very specific. And by the way, they were also 100% accurate. If you write down these verses, Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 22, Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 22, and Jeremiah 28, verse 9, Jeremiah 28, verse 9, the standard for biblical prophet was 100% accuracy. In fact, if he was wrong one time, you know what the penalty was? Death. I guarantee you a biblical prophet in the Old Testament wasn't going to write a book about something that he was prophesying and dare to be wrong about it. And so biblical prophets were 100% accurate. Number three, biblical prophets were typically time-sensitive. Time-sensitive, meaning that you could tell if a prophecy was true by the time connected to it. And if you study the prophecies of Daniel, it is incredible to see the timed-based nature of his prophecies. Um, also, there's a prophecy in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 18, or excuse me, yeah, 1 Kings 18, verse 16, that, or 1 Kings 13, verses 1 through 2 that mentions that. Just time since the prophecies that, that would happen 300 years later. And so as we look at these truths, these will help you to figure out whether you, these prophets you see on TV are actually prophets for God. Uh, number four, biblical prophets never contradicted God's word. They would never contradict God's word. And then finally, even non-believers knew God's prophets were legitimate. That's a, it's a fascinating thing. Ahab knew that Elijah was a prophet of God and that he was the cause of it not raining there in, in, uh, in, in Israel. 
And so even non-believers knew God's prophets were legitimate. So what is our position? God can do whatever he wants. Could God give someone a vision of what's going to happen in the future? I'm not here to say that God can't do that. But what I'm going to say is I'm, I'm also going to be skeptical of it. I'm going to make sure that those prophets abide by those standards that God lays down in his word. And so, we, and so the reason we're skeptical is because we do not see these prophets following, following the scripture. Now, as we look at miracles and providence, this is something, too, that we just need to get dialed in because I hear the word miracle thrown around a lot today. And so I just want to go through a little bit of an exercise with you as we talk about miracles, the difference between a miracle and providence. Number one, a miracle is when God intervenes with the laws of nature he established to accomplish his purpose. It's where God takes the normal laws of nature and suspends them or supersedes them, and he accomplishes his purpose. That's what a miracle is. A providence is when God works through the laws of nature he established to accomplish his purpose. So let's illustrate this, okay? Um, so a miracle is not just something that is unusual, but it's something that would be impossible. So let's, let's illustrate the difference just very quickly. Let's say that you owed someone this week $1,928.49, and it's due this Friday. How many of y'all have a bill that's due this Friday of that amount? Okay, just imagine if you had that amount of money due. That's a pretty big bill for anybody in this room. And let's say that tomorrow you walk to your mailbox and you receive a check from your rich uncle for the exact amount. Is that a miracle or is that providence? Think hard. Is that a miracle or providence? That would be a providence, not a miracle. The difference is this. You owed the money, $1,928.49, but instead of you going to your mailbox tomorrow and getting a check written for that exact amount from your rich uncle, it's signed from God, and you take that check to the bank, and the bank actually cashes that check from God. That would be a miracle. Do you see the difference between the two? There are coincidental things that happen. Well, let's say, for instance, you're driving down the interstate this week, and all of a sudden, you start to slide on the road, and you are now headed face-on to a Mack truck, and you're about to have a Mack truck's imprint right on your forehead. And all of a sudden, your car levitates off the ground, goes over the truck, and lands on the other side safely. Is that a miracle, or is that providence? That's a miracle because God suspended the natural laws of nature, gravity, raised up your car, put it over on the—that would be a miracle. What would be providence is if, is, is if you're driving down the interstate— same situation, Mack truck's coming t toward you, and all of a sudden a squirrel ran across the interstate, somehow nudged your tire over to where you just barely missed the, uh, the uh, Mack truck, and the Mack truck was actually also at the same time, he was, he was steering, to, uh, steering towards the other way because he had dropped uh, a Justin Bieber CD. <laughs> would that be providence or a miracle? It would be providence because the squirrel was, was a natural thing, and it and, and so, yes, coincidental, powerfully providential, but the fact that a truck driver would be listening to a Justin Bieber CD, that's a miracle. You know, so you've got all these things that, uh, so you have to just, yeah, so you have to just think through this. And so, and so think about it. If you go to the doctor this week, and the doctor runs that, an extra test because he's just got a hunch that something's not right, and he discovers that you have cancer. Well, that would be providence. It would be providence that the doctor uh, just had this hunch and that he wanted to run that test, the difference would be between a providence and a miracle would be then if you go in for that surgery, let's say it's stomach cancer, you go in for that surgery, and before the doctor begins operation, the cancer literally 
comes out of your stomach by itself and sets itself, the tumor sets itself on the operating table without any cutting. That would be miraculous. So you see the difference between these two? So one's a miracle and one's providence. And we have to be careful and we have to keep these words clear because I hear that word miracle thrown around today and that adds to the confusion. And so uh, about, sickness and, uh, about sickness and healing and sickness and death, let me just mention some truths here to you. As you again, you're taking notes here. And this is very informational for us today uh, as it hopefully will help us down the road. Uh, number one, the fall of mankind brought sickness and death into the world. The fall of mankind brought sickness and death into the world. Romans 5.12 is clear. Uh, For as by one man, Adam, sin and death, sin came into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so the reality is we live in a fallen, broken universe. Sickness and death is the reality because of the curse. Number two, sometimes there's a direct relationship between personal sins and sickness. What do I mean by this? If you go out and you sow sin, for instance, if you sow sexual immorality, you might reap certain sickness and death because of those choices. That's just the reality. Yes, thank you. you that, that, that might happen. That might happen. If you go out and you get drunk or if you go out and you use illegal drugs, you might face death because of those choices. Do you see? And so there's many times there is a direct relationship between personal sin and sickness. It's amazing to me when I hear people blame, blame God for their condition, and it was brought on by them. It was brought on by them. Number three, most sickness and death is a result of original sin and not personal sin. Most sickness and death in our universe today is a result of original sin and not personal sin. Uh, the disciples of Jesus uh, met a man who was born blind in John chapter 9, and immediately his disciples started to go to try to figure out, okay, master, who sinned in the fact that this baby, this, this man was born blind? Was, were his parents the sinners, or was he the sinner? And what did Jesus say? Neither. Neither. It's amazing how often we assume that, you know, the bad things that happen in our life are because of something we've done. Now, that could be. But most of the time, as I have pastored for 16 years, as I've been in ministry and seen all these situations, most of the time it's just because we live in a broken, fallen universe. Another truth about sickness and healing and death, uh, understanding God's will in the midst of sickness and pain is limited at best. I, I meet so many people who, in that moment of tragedy, in that moment of grief and pain, they're trying to make sense of what the Lord's will was. And ultimately, our knowledge of God's will in those moments is limited at best. You know, was it God's will? To what extent was it God's will? You know, I've heard God's will be used as a great source of comfort for many Christians, and I've also had Christians struggle with God's will in those moments. And you know what? We just have to confess in those moments that we're groaning, that we're waiting for the redemption of our body, that we are longing for that day when there will be no more pain or sorrow. And then finally here, underneath these, these thoughts about sickness and death, typically when God heals, he does so providentially, not miraculously. What do I mean by this? Uh, many times there are providential ways in which God uses modern medicine and doctors to help in our healing. Very rarely do miracles occur, although they do. And I think it's amazing when we see that, and we see that occur. And so typically when God heals, he does so providentially, not necessarily miraculously. So doctors can diagnose and doctors can treat, but we ultimately know that God's the great physician and he heals us, whether it be through providence, through those doctors, through the medicines that he gives to us, or he can certainly do that miraculously as well. 
And so does God work in providentially powerful ways still today, church family? Yes, of course he does. Does God still work in miraculous ways today that seem impossible and inexplainable to human understanding? Yes, of course he does. But the question that we're considering this morning is, are there people with spiritual gifts of miraculous healing? Again, I'm open, but I'm also skeptical. And I want to hold my beliefs with a humble orthodoxy and a humble theology. And so I think that that's so important as we look at these truths here that Paul's going to be laying out in 1 Corinthians 14 and really what he's already addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And so let's look at biblical healings for just a moment. I want you to see some truths here. Number one, as you study all the healings in the Bible, number one, they were 100% successful. There were, uh, Jesus didn't you know, try to heal people and he failed. No, they were 100% successful. Number two, with those healings, you saw no relapses. It's funny, there's been a lot of, or it's sad really, there's, there's been a lot of investigative reporting on all these faith healer uh, uh, meetings that, that are had, and they follow up with these people six months later, and their condition has returned, and in many cases, it's returned even worse. And so, in the Bible, there were no relapses. Number three, biblical healings were complete and instantaneous. They were not partial and progressive Jesus said to that lame man, get up and walk, and he did. Um, number four, they were undeniable even by non-believers. These biblical miracles in the Bible were undeniable even by unbelievers. If you think about it, the Pharisees, the uh, enemies of Jesus, they didn't deny the miracles of Jesus. This is one of the most, I think, if you're a skeptic, if you're someone who doesn't believe in Christianity, you really need to examine the Gospels because one of the evidences of the truth of the Gospels is enemy attestation, which means that the enemies of Jesus never doubted whether he did a miracle. They never doubted that. They just said that he did his miracle on the wrong day of the week, the Sabbath, or that he did his miracle through the power of Satan. And so even the non-believers couldn't deny that Jesus was doing miracles and that his disciples and apostles were doing miracles. And then finally, biblical healings and these miracles were extremely rare. It's, it's important for us to keep in mind, I'm going to talk about this here, here again in a second, but there's only certain time periods in the biblical narrative where miracles really came on the scene. There's only three times, and we'll mention those here in a second. And so if there are biblical healers today, have you ever noticed how modern-day healers work? Modern-day healers work where you've got to come into their specific room with their specific PA system, with their specific music, on their stage, with their handlers, that's being the key, their handlers, and their TV cameras. If there are biblical healers today, why don't they go into the hospitals or go solve the Ebola or AIDS epidemic? Jesus didn't force people to come to him to be healed, although they did seek him out at times. No, Jesus went to where they were. I want to challenge us all to find a true modern-day healer that does that. See? So just giving you some things to think about as you cipher through all the things that you see out there that many times create confusion and questions, both with Christians but even with non-believers. And so I want to give you a timetable of biblical miracles here. Number one, miracles were not evenly distributed in history. Again, I mentioned that just a moment ago. Miracles were not evenly distributed in history, even biblical history. There were really only three key time periods where miracles were clumped together at specific periods, I believe, of revelation of God's truth in a very specific geographic region to very specific people. 
And so you might want to write these down. Here are the three time periods where miracles were extremely evident in Scripture. Number one, in the, in the time and life of Moses and Joshua. In the time and life of Moses and Joshua. You know, Red Sea dividing down the middle. Children of Israel walking over on dry land. Providential or miracle? Miracle. God suspended the natural laws of nature and the children of Israel walked over to dry land. Uh, manna on the ground. Food on the ground every morning. Providential or miracle? Miracle. And so you have all these things. And so one time period was Moses and Joshua. Another time period of biblical miracles in history was Elijah and Elisha. And then finally, the final time period was Jesus and the apostles. But if we're not careful, we get the idea as we read through the Bible that the Bible, there were miracles happening every second. But if you study this out, you find out that if you look just at the life of Elijah and Elisha over a period of 60 to 90 years, there were only about 20 miracles recorded between both of them combined. 60 to 90 years, 20 miracles. If you study the life and times of Jesus and the apostles, you know, 35 to 40 years, there's only 19 to 20 miracles recorded in the book of Acts. So again, we get this idea as we read the Bible that, oh, you know, there was hundreds of miracles happening, but really they were miracles by definition because they were not normal. That's, that's one of the meanings of the word miracle. I mean, if it was happening every day, it wouldn't be miraculous. And so the timing here, miracles were not evenly distributed in history, even biblical history. Number two, miracles were typically for a purpose of verifying a message or messenger. And this is really where you get into the issue of the signs and the miracles issue. Because the miracles in the Bible were to confirm the messenger and his message. Every time, as you study all three of those time periods, that's what its purpose was for. Specifically in the life of Jesus, look at these verses just quickly. It says in John 20, 30, and 31, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. So what was John's purpose in chronicling all the miracles in his gospel? It was to prove to you who he was, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And these signs proved it. Uh, Book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Why were the apostles given these signs? They were given these signs to establish the church, to carry out the message of the new covenant and the finished work of Jesus to a people, to Jews, who would not have believed without a sign. Paul said earlier in this book, in 1 Corinthians, the Jews require a sign. They needed that. Hebrews 2.4, God also bearing them witness, who? Bearing, bearing the truth of the new covenant, the gospel, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And so these miracles, these signs, these wonders were given to messengers to confirm their message. One of the main reasons they were given these signs and wonders is because they didn't have the blessing of a completed Bible in front of them like you and I do. They didn't have that wonderful gift. And then thirdly here, um, miracles seem to fade later in Paul's life. This is something I really want to encourage you to study out. As you study whether miracles can still happen today, certainly they can. But in this context of, you know, miracle workers on a regular basis, 
You know, I just scratch my head as I study the life of Paul. Because it seems like early in Paul's ministry, he was able to perform many miracles. I mean, he healed one person who fell asleep in church. Eutychus, read about him. Well, of course, Paul preached a long sermon too. Hours Paul preached, and the dude fell out of a third story or second story window, and he evidently broke his neck, and Paul went over and prayed for him, and he got healed. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not Paul. I can't do that for you. <laughs> All right? Call me of little faith, but I probably cannot raise you from the dead if you fall out of your seat asleep and break your neck. Okay? So, uh, but Paul did that. Also, check this one out. Have you all ever wondered why these people on TV are telling you to send in a faith seed of $100 or $1,000 and they'll send you a holy hanky? Acts 19, 11, 11 and 12. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And the diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Now, this is an amazing story. And I'll tell you, the reason why Paul had this given to him was so that people would pay attention and listen to his message of the gospel, the new covenant, the finished work of Jesus. And he would proclaim that truth to all the known world at that time, specifically to the Jews, but then also he went, of course, as you know, he would ultimately go to the Gentiles. But if this is the case, and Paul was able to just give people a holy hanky and heal them, then look at these verses. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. This is later in Paul's ministry. If Paul was still able to heal, then why did he not heal Trophimus? Poor Trophimus. He must have not gotten benefit of one of them holy hankies. He would say over in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan above at me, lest I should be exalted above measure. measure. From this verse we gather and as we study scripture, that Paul most likely had a physical ailment, a thorn in the flesh, a physical ailment that he struggled with the rest of his life. Why couldn't he just pray and heal himself? Of course, the modern-day faith leaders will say, well, Paul just didn't have enough faith. But then you get into the focus on the quality of your faith rather than the quality of his sacrifice, and boy, that's a dangerous game to play. Why would Paul tell Timothy just to drink some grape juice, a little wine for thy stomach's sake? And for thine often infirmities, if he could just heal Timothy or send him some miracle spring water to heal him. You see? So Paul, in his ministry, it seemed like those miracle gifts really started out hot and heavy. But as Scripture was laid down and the Word of God increased, it seemed like the witness was there of God's Word through the power of the Spirit. And clearly, Paul did not, again... So if Paul could, why didn't he? And so our position on these sign gifts is that God can do whatever he wants to do. We don't, want, we don't be careful of saying God can't do what God can do. So we're open, but we're also skeptical of prophets, healers, and miracle workers today. Why? Because in many situations, we don't see them resembling biblical patterns. And so my challenge to us today, so four things in summary which aren't in your notes because I had to get all that other information in there and there wasn't enough space. So if you have an extra piece of paper, I want to write down these four reminders as we close today. Number one, God is the God not only of the miraculous power, of miraculous power, but also of mysterious providence. I guarantee you that if you start to look for how God is working in your life, you'll see his signature all over your life through providence. Uh, man, I had that happen to me just this morning 
where something happened. I, I, I received a text, and it was providential. It was an encouragement to me. God used that circumstance. I can't claim it was a miracle, but it was clearly evidence of God at work in my life. And all of you have experienced those over the years. And so let's be reminded that God is not only the God of miraculous power, but also of mysterious, wonderful providence. Number two, God is at work in your life in a moment-by-moment basis. The problem with a lot of the signs and wonders and miracle healings today movement is that they're always looking for their next emotional and spiritual high. They're always looking for a greater manifestation of a miracle. And in order to get it, you've got to send in more money. And you've got to fast longer and harder. And you've got to you know, weep and gnash. And you've got to do all this stuff. But the greatest reality is, is that God is at work in your life on a moment-by-moment basis, church family. And we miss the mysterious providential working of God because we're looking for the miracle. And the very miracle is, is that God is at work in your life on a moment-by-moment basis. Number three, God's providential works are no less amazing than his miraculous works. We must be careful not to denigrate God's miracles or God's mysterious providence in our efforts to try to always be seeking the next miracle, sign, or wonder. I'll tell you the greatest miracle, the greatest working of miracles today, I think, is in God changing people's hearts and lives through the gospel. It's incredible to see the transformation that occurs in people's lives. That's the thing that motivates us. We're not here every week to seek the next sign, wonder, or faith healing. That's not our focus. Hey, you know, if God wants to do that, to magnify his message, to confirm the, uh, the uh, message that the messenger is proclaiming, then he can do that. But we always submit to biblical authority and the truth of God's word in our life. And so with this said, I hope that this will help us as we go forward in the days ahead. We're going to really be wrapping up our study of Corinthians in the next couple of weeks as we get ready for the Christmas season. But as we come back next week, we're going to study tongues and take that spiritual gift in one sermon because there was too much to share today. But I hope that on these questions of prophecy, on these questions of healing and miracle working, signs and wonders, I hope that these truths will help you as you seek to rightly divide Scripture and be discerning with what you see out there on TV and on the Internet today. Let's pray together.